The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Mark twelve thirty-eight through 44. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and, li- uh, and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right. Thank you for that, Nathan. Um, So proud of you. Nathan is one of the lead servants in our church. Nathan sets up our communion trays for us on a regular basis, and so when you go to the tables today, you just remember who set it for you. Uh, Nathan also is a faithful greeter at our, at our doors there as people come in, uh, being one of the first faces to offer hospitality, and now he is an esteemed scripture reader, and uh, so grateful for him. Uh, we are uh, in our series on Uh, the various encounters that Jesus Christ had with various people. And today we're looking at uh, the woman that we will uh, will refer to as the poor, generous widow, and uh, her encounter with Christ is just one more demonstration for us about how God chooses the weak things to accomplish some of the greatest things. And so... uh, So in June 1859, 
the tightrope walker Charles Blondin stretched a rope all the way across Niagara Falls. And a crowd of 10,000 people heard the announcement that he was going to walk the tightrope across Niagara Falls, and they showed up, and he succeeded. And it was such a success that they announced that he was going to do it again next week, but this time with a stunt. And so more people came back the next week, and then for several more weeks with several more stunts, and every week there was a bigger stunt and a bigger crowd to go along with it. Once he crossed the Niagara on the tight wire with a sack on his head, rode a bicycle across Niagara Falls, uh, pushed a wheelbarrow, uh, but that wheelbarrow had a stove and a fire, and he cooked an omelet over it and ate the omelet, uh, su suspended right over uh, the waters. He stood on his head, he did somersaults, and succeeded every time, and then he had a, an idea to trump all other ideas, and this was when the crowd size was about 100,000 people. He said, I'm going to carry a man on my back the next time. And he offered $1,000, which, which in our money would be $30,000 today, for anybody who would will, be willing to ride on his back, and out of 100,000 people, he got zero volunteers. <laughs> then he asked the question, how many of you believe that I can carry you across Niagara Falls on this tight wire? 100,000 people said, we do. And then to prove that he could do it, he put a 200-pound sack on his back, carried it all the way across. How many of you believe I could carry you? We all believe you could carry us. Who wants to volunteer? Not on your life. And so Blondin looks at his manager, whose name was Harry, and he says, I guess it has to be you. And Harry reluctantly said, okay, let's do this. And Blondin said, this is very important. The only way this is going to work, because the wind's going to blow out there, the wire's going to toggle, you need to stay completely still. And you need to trust me completely, and you need to resist every urge that you might have to take control if you feel us losing balance. Can you do that? And Harry said, yes. Try to save your life, you're going to lose your life. You try to save your own life, you're going to take me down with you. You have to be still and let me carry the whole weight of me and the whole weight of you. Your only job is to relinquish your illusion of being in control. In front of us, we've got another crowd of people giving a lot of lip service to God, talking a big game about their big faith. But there's only one who is willing to go out on the wire with him. And just like Blondin's manager, Harry, Jesus Christ carries her to safety and gives her the adventure of a lifetime that only few get to enjoy because only a few trust. And so I want to look at a couple of people that 
Jesus talks about here and makes observations about. That's the pretentious churchgoer and then the widow on the wire. And then I'd like to close out with how trusting the widow um, to carry us across the wire can actually be possible. And so let's start with the pretentious churchgoers. These are the people who are talking a big game, putting on a big show. As the prophet Isaiah would put it, honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The optics on these faithful churchgoers were really good. They appear faithful. They are worshipers, or so it seems. They show up weekly to the temple. They get the attendance badge. Many of them are elevated to become leaders in their religious community. These are people, it says, who have been given the best seats at the synagogue. That was a reward. You get the best seat for being among the most faithful. And Jesus calls out especially the scribes. These were the interpreters. These were the theologians, the ones who, who, who taught the Bible, much like I'm attempting to do right now. They were the ones who also carried the budget. They were that 20% who gave 80% of the resources to carry the budget for the temple. It says in verse 41 that the rich are putting large sums of money in the offering box. And they are carrying the same kind of swag as the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who says, I give a tenth of all I get. But the truth of the matter is, and anybody who knew about the Pharisees' sort of generosity practices knew that it was much more than 10%, because in the definition of that phrase, all I get, the Pharisees would include both the income they received as well as the things that they got when they spent money. And so they tithed on every bit of income they received and on everything that they purchased. And so for the average Pharisee, it was somewhere between 20 and 30% of income that they gave charitably. And so the people looked at Pharisees and scribes, and they saw piety. They saw raising the bar. But what did God see? What God saw was hypocrites. And the ancient meaning of the word hypocrite was less derogatory maybe than, than the way we use it now, because a hypocrite was also the word that was used for a stage actor, a thespian. And what Jesus is saying here, and in the Sermon on the Mount as well, is that you are posing and posturing. You are masking unbelief with religion. He says, for a pretense, these are people who make long public prayers. It's as if he's saying, scribes, Pharisees, I see right through you. I know what you're after. I know what you're about. Religion is your stage. God is your supporting actor. And people are your fans and patrons. That's how your heart operates. I can see right through you. And if you think about it, Jesus is describing an actor and all the things that a successful actor will experience as he describes the scribes. They're wearing costumes. He says they walk around in long robes. They have a celebrity vibe that follows them. Jesus says they like greetings in the marketplace. They like being noticed in public. They have VIP access. 
Jesus says they are given the best seats in the synagogue, but they're also given the seats of honor when somebody has a feast or an award ceremony and so on. And, and Jesus' diagnosis of this person is false piety masked over with the appearance of generosity. Similar passage in the Sermon on the Mount, this is, you know, between Matthew 5 and 7, he says that the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who pray, they fast, or they're very devoted religiously, and they give to charity, give to the temple, and the reason why they do all this, Jesus says, is to put on a show, to put on a show. God is not an end in himself. He is a means toward their ends of reputation, acclaim, being esteemed, and so on. But Jesus exposes the mask. He says that those who are giving these large sums and doing so so publicly, they're giving from their abundance. They're giving out of their excess. They're giving leftovers which isn't really giving. They're giving just enough to receive the public recognition that they're really after, and the esteem, and to get their name on a donor list, to secure a seat at the table. That's why they're doing all of this. See, because all generosity, and I think, you know, if there is a story in the Bible that, 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 that affirms this and confirms this, it's this one, that all generosity is relative. So say you've got a nanny, and the nanny earns $12,000 a year. She supports herself, and she gives away 2000 out of that twelve. She is the widow on the wire. But say you've got an executive who makes something north of $100,000 and gives away four times what the nanny does. You call that person an unbeliever. A sign of a church that is far from God is this. Like the widow, the nanny gets overlooked and ignored. And the executive gets invited to become an elder. Wilbur Reese summed it up in this way, somewhat prophetically, somewhat uncomfortably. This is how Wilbur Reese represented the posturing of the pretentious churchgoer. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I don't want to be under the control of God. I want God in my pocket. 
there to pull out when I need him to accomplish what I'm really after. So there's this false piety masked with things like generosity and prayer and almsgiving and things like that. But there's also a disregard for the weak. They're completely ignoring the widow, probably disdaining her and judging her if they see her and the small amount of money she's dropping in the offering box. But Jesus makes an interesting, curious statement in verse 40. He says, they devour widows' houses. And, and of course, one of, one of the people on the, the donor list with the VIP access would say, I don't devour widows' houses. What, what would I have to do with that tiny little hut that she lives in? Unless you want to turn her property into gentrified property, and then it becomes a potential investment. It's what you could call passive oppression. Some call it systemic injustice. Some call it social injustice. And I know some of you don't like that language. But I'll use it just the same. These are the rich, Jesus says, who give from their excess and devour the poor. How do they do that? It doesn't seem like they're devouring anybody. It's passive. It's not active. It's not, it's not overtly aggressive. It's passive injustice. You see, because the rich here are also those who are running the synagogue and they are running the city. They're running things ecclesiastically and they're running things civically. In the temple, the rules were pay to play. And they applied the same rule to everybody else. We're watching you, and tithe means somewhere between 20 and 30 percent, which is, of course, oppressive to a poor widow who's only got a couple of pennies left to her name. And out in the city, they were known to impose heavy land taxes, property taxes taxes so that people like this poor widow could no longer afford the taxes on her tiny little hut. She was financially crippled by the temple standards and by the civic standard standards that were established and imposed upon her by those with resources. Matthew 23, Jesus puts it this way toward the scribes and the Pharisees. He says they love the seats of honor. They sit in Moses' seat, which is another way of saying they call the shots. They preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help. Matthew 25, there's a parable that he gives the sheep and the goats. And the goats are, of course, the pretentious churchgoers. And Jesus says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. I was an immigrant and you did not provide asylum or sanctuary for me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and you didn't heal me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. For whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. The reason why you don't have room for the poor in your heart is that you never had room for God in your heart because the two always run together. 
And he says, depart from me. Pretentious churchgoers, I never knew you. Get off my stage. My stage was never set up for your acting. So get off my stage. And then there's the widow on the wire. It says she gives two coins. The Greek for that coin is lepta. That's the coin of least, very least value. That's the, le- that's the least valuable currency in that society. And Jesus says in it she's giving her life away. The Greek word there is bios. We get biology from that. She's giving her body. She's giving everything that she has, everything that she is in this moment. One of the commentaries says she's taking food out of her own mouth because she's so moved by the grandeur of God. You know, when we give, it's usually from our margin. You know, how many of us are living more modestly, swiping the credit card less, eating out less, setting the furnace lower, traveling less, wearing last year's fashion because of our charitable giving. There may be a few of us. But that's not commonplace among us. And yet, here's the widow. She gives the smallest gift in terms of amount, and yet Jesus identifies her as the top donor. She doesn't just say she gave more than any individual or than any household. He says that she gave more than everybody combined. Man looks at outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Again, she's taking food out of her own mouth. And yet Jesus says, look, you can't take it with you, but you can send it forward. This woman's everlasting portfolio, she's going to be in the 1%. She will be the 1%, the one that you're ignoring, dismissing, judging. She will be in the 1%. Actual generosity is the kind that you feel. It's the kind that impacts your standard of living. It's the kind that costs something. It's the kind that forces you to do without something that you would otherwise be able to have without the generosity. Jonathan Edwards, who got defrocked and kicked out of the church that he had planted and pastored, because of teachings like this. You know, in response to specifically wealthy members in his congregation who said, I cannot afford to give generously, Edward says, what you really mean is you can't afford to give generously and do all the other things that you want to do. I mean, it goes something like this. If the economy tanked, let's say 2008 happened again, and let, let's say that Scott Saul's income had to go down by 10, 15% as a result. What would Scott Saul's do? Would he die? No, wouldn't die. But he would adjust his life. He would adjust his cash flow situation. He would adjust his priorities in terms of spending and such. And it does beg the question, and this is the question Jesus, I think, is asking us, if I'm interpreting this faithfully, 
why would we adjust our lives for the market but not for God? By the way, this is me out on a wire. My currency isn't money. I don't care how much you have. I don't care how much you give. I really couldn't give a rip. My currency is your approval. And I trust that I might lose your approval, some of you, this morning. I do care about that. But I need to stand out on the wire. <laughs> so I'm gonna. It's my Enneagram 3-ness that needs you to like me. So the the significance here is this. Jesus said it. She gave her life, her bios. Money represents power. It represents options. It represents choice. It represents the illusion of control. And the illusion of control is very comfortable the longer we can hang on to it. It's very satisfying. But Jesus says you cannot simultaneously love God and money. You cannot simultaneously have your heart in both places. Where your treasure is, he said, there your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your life is. Where your treasure is, there your God is. Wherever your time and mind share and money go with the least amount of effort, behold your God. Some of you, by the way, are incredibly faithful with little you have small capacity, you have small bank accounts, you have a small degree of visibility in the world, but you're faithful with it. You know what God says about that? You're glorious. You're amazing. You're carrying the freight of your entire community. You're giving more of yourself than everybody combined. Because as the lyric goes, it's not just what you're born with, it's what you choose to bear. It's not how large your share is, but it's how much you can share. It's not what you've been, uh, it's not the fights you dreamed of, but it's those you really fought. It's not just what you're given, it's what you do with what you've got. We have teenage girls giving 20% on their babysitting money. We have people making North of $100,000 who haven't given a dime in years. It's not to shame you. The last thing on earth that I would want to do is shame you. I would be a hypocrite if I were calling you out to the same degree that Jesus is calling out the scribes. But I do care about your heart, and I do care about your health, and I do care about your freedom and so how can we trust, or can we trust the widow to carry us across the wire? You know, there is some good news here. Christ Presbyterian Church is beating the markets, as they say. As a church, we collectively send 40% of the resources that come in out when most churches give around 10% to outside efforts. We are blessed to be in a position to be able to send out 40% for the planting of churches like like. All Souls in North Nashville, as well as other efforts around things like faith and work, neighbor love, mercy and justice, and so on. 
and among those in our community who give, uh, we beat the 80-20 rule. You know, the standard is that 20% of the people in the church will, will give 80% of the charitable giving. We're more at 75-25, where it's 25% instead of 20% that carries 75% rather than 80% of our church's ministry. The bad news is that means that there are roughly 75% of us who haven't walked out on the wire yet. And even more concerning, 50% of us didn't give anything last year. Half of us. We're in one of the richest zip codes in the world. Money has 50% of you at least around the neck. And I would be unfaithful as your pastor not to just say that and risk never seeing you again. This is about your heart. I do not care about the coffers at Christ Presbyterian Church. I do not care. I care about your freedom and your living in slavery. And I'm morally bound to tell you that, at least 50% of you. And the reason why you're in slavery, the reason why you've never been out on the wire is because you're scared. And what I want to encourage you to do, what I want to dare you to do is start obeying the most repeated command in the Bible, which is not give everything away that you have. The most repeated command in the Bible is don't fear. Because God is with you, and God will carry you over that wire all the way to the other side in safety and adventure if you would just get on his back and be still. Relinquish everything in your life to him that represents control. Get your hands off your life. Get your feet off his stage. And get on his back and fall asleep. And you'll be free. Do you want that? Look at Peter in the boat, getting out, walking toward the man who happens to be walking on water. Who's saying, you can trust me. You can't take it with you, but you can send it forward. I, some time ago, there was a, a gathering of about 40 people in our church. And among those 40 people, uh, there was a couple that had fallen on very hard times financially. And they confided in the person who was hosting this gathering of about 40 people about their burden. Just asking for prayer and nothing else. Not asking for anything but prayer. And so this person whom who was hosting the gathering, decided that she was going to announce to everybody anonymously, there's an anonymous someone in our community that has fallen on hard times financially and I would like to take donations and I will make sure the resources get to this somebody. And as they were counting up all of the generous donations that were given to this anonymous entity, it turns out that those who gave the most were the ones who were also the recipients. How about that? Widow on the wire. For most of us, basic faithfulness is much less risky 
than this. What would it mean just to start giving at the top of your bracket and living at the bottom of your bracket? I don't don't think God is telling everybody to take a vow of poverty. God, I am confident, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Job, all loaded, Solomon, rich, beyond measure. God never asked any of them to leave their community or their social situation or their economic situation, because I think God wants the light of God in every kind of community, every income class, but live at the bottom, give at the top rather than the other way around, and be free. Learn what real safety is. You are safest out on the wire, not away from it. You just haven't been able to believe that just yet. Here's what we have to understand. When Jesus is describing the widow, he's really describing himself. She's a shadow of him. She's a pointer to him. He was the one who was stripped naked, who was made weak, who was ignored, whose house was devoured, who took food out of his own mouth so he could put it in yours. He deprived himself of food and drink on the cross. I thirst. My bread is to do the will of the one who sent me. And that will is to die so that you can live. That will is to become your slave so that you can be free. You going to get out on the wire with me now? He gave 100%, not from the margins. He gave his bias. He gave his biology, his whole body, and his whole blood. Jesus is the poor widow who picks up the tab in full. For rich and for poor alike. Let's let this man on the wire carry us to safety and give us that adventure, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, you are so counterintuitive and perplexing to us because. The realities of your kingdom seem so upside down, seem so frightening, seem so irresponsible, seem so scary. Lord, if you could find it in your heart to put it in our hearts to stay, that the safest place on earth is not 50 feet from the ledge giving lip service to you. The safest place on earth is out on the wire resting on your back. Father, take our hands off our lives whatever it takes for you to do that so that we can taste this wonderful adventure that you have for all who send it forward and who realize that we can take none of it with us. Minister to our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.